Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, How can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 1st. On today's show, we recap day three of the 2021 U.S. Open. Of course, before we do that, rain, rain, go away, come again another day. Please make that day outside the next two weeks, though. As we see Hurricane Ida fall on the east coast of the United States, we hope everyone in Hurricane Ida's path has stayed safe. We are wishing a speedy recovery for any community impacted by the storm. Of course, if we are being honest, how does this impact the U.S. Open? I will be surprised if day four starts on time. Not only was there an immense amount of range, uh, rain, you can only imagine the damage that sort of storm does. So again, we hope everyone first and foremost stays safe. But how does that impact the tennis? We are unsure. It is something certainly to monitor moving forward. That said, so frequently, it's easy to take pot shots at the things that are done wrong from an administrative standpoint in professional tennis. Shout out to the U.S. Open. They got all of today's second round singles matches played across the many courts. Yes, there were some starting and stopping. Yes, there were some delays. I suppose one match, Angelique Kerber and Helena Kalnina got rescheduled, but to go 31 of 32 on a day that featured a storm like this, credit to the U.S. Open for getting all of those matches out. As such, we have plenty of phenomenal action to discuss on today's show. We have to talk about the form of Sloane Stevens. Is Sloane Stevens back? That's a question I want to ponder. After her straight set victory today over 21-seeded Coco Gauff, 
Does she have a pathway? I heard Renee Stubbs in the lead-up to the resumption of the Schwartzman-Anderson match suggest that she has the goods to win this tournament. I'm not quite ready to go there, but is she back in her WTA Top 50 form? Is she ready to be a staple at each and every WTA event, not just the slams, not just the 250s, but the 500s, the 1,000-level events, not have to play qualifying or rely on wild cards? I think if you look at not just her result here, but her recent results, Results. The answer, you know, the analytics, the results suggest the answer to that question is yes. So I want to discuss her performance today as well as that thought, of course. Carlos Alcaraz may not have been one of the seeds in this event. He is one of the stories right now on the ATP Tour. His meteoric rise over the past 24 months, he's the real deal. And when you see someone his age have this degree of success, you have to take note. You have to discuss how it impacts the ATP hierarchy moving forward. I want to talk about his four-set win over Arthur Rindernesh today. I want to talk about Daria Kasakina. Much, I don't want to say deserved because Von Drusova certainly deserves it as well, but just given the success Kasekina has had week in, week out, good to see her reach a third round of a slam with her win today. Speaking of a seeded win at the WTA side, that's been the theme of the women's singles event. Another rock-solid day for the top seeds at the U.S. Open. I want to talk about how they performed, offer you all those numbers on today's show, run through the rest of today's results, the upsets, the notable performances, the matches that went the distance, and so much more. Do a little bit of previewing of day four at the end as well. Of course, before we get into any of that, I do want to remind all of you that the reason we are able to do these shows day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rack its Patreon family, and I apologize that I keep plugging it, but if you're looking for bonus content throughout this U.S. Open, it's the year's final Grand Slam. Why not treat yourself to all of the information? Bonus match of the day segment for our Patreon subscribers, 15 to 20 minutes me talking about my favorite match of the day, breaking down each player's recent results, breaking down the analytics, offering the keys to the match from a tactics standpoint, offering a prediction as well. If you are interested in hearing that, interested supporting our team by becoming a member of our Patreon family, you can find all the information by going to our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, I do also quickly want to give a shout out to our newest Cracked Rackets team members here, Hunter Heck. Kawaisi Kenyatta, the two Illinois men's tennis players able to join our team through Project Elite, a project offering a program, excuse me, offering college tennis athletes across the country the opportunity to benefit off the recent NIL ruling. If you are interested in more on that, you can hear from Hunter, hear from Kawaisi, hear from our other athletes, Cannon Kingsley, Isabel Boulay as well. Learn more about it all at our website, project-elite.com. Of course, last but certainly not least here on this show, I have to give a shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point. Now, you already have all of the information, so I'll simply say this. Tennis-point.com, best equipment, best prices. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's break down day three of this 2021 U.S. Open. And the place we have to start is is the performance of Sloane Stephens, the 2017 U.S. Open champion, a 6-4, 6-2 victory 
over Coco Goff. You look for the 28-year-old American coming into this event. She was ranked 66 in the world. Now, with this victory, because of the ranking protections, it's not a meteoric rise for Stevens that she's able to reach a third round here at the U.S. Open, despite how few points she really has to defend, and I'll get into that momentarily. But she does rise in the live rankings up to number 52 by making the third round here. And that is consequential because especially given the ending of the season, we don't know exactly where the events are going to be. If you're right around that top 50, you should be able to get into the main draw of any post-US Open event, excluding, of course, if there are a year-end finals or an elite trophy event that Sloane Stevens wants to play. And given where she was a year and a half, two years ago, that is a critical critical development. You look for her 24 and 19, a 55% win percentage in 2019. That was her lowest mark since the 2014 season when she was 21 years old. You look for her last season, uh, the wheels fell off the wagon. She goes uh, 4 and 11 overall, 27% win percentage. You look for her over the course of, you know, the end of 2019, start of 2020, down the home stretch of that 2019 season. It was you know, a second round loss in Cincinnati to, uh, to Kuznetsova. She lost first round Washington to Buzkova, first round U.S. Open to Kalinskaya, first round Osaka to Georgie, second round Beijing to Sai Sai Zeng. You look through the 2020 season, lost her first four matches of the year pre-pandemic to Samsonovia, Rodianova, Shuizhang, uh, uh, and Zarazua. She then wins her first round match in Montreal before losing back-to-back matches to Layla Fernandez upon the restart, loses to Caroline Garcia, two wins at the U.S. Open before a loss to Serena, then losses to Muguruza, Hibino, a win over Diachenko before a loss to Bedoska, 4-11 again in that 2020 season. You know, this year started shaky as well. Four straight losses for her in the Australia, immediately post-Australia stretch. And of course, it's worth mentioning all of these struggles came immediately post uh, the, the COVID pandemic. And it's impossible to knock any player who had a poor response to that because, of course, that pandemic ruined all of our rhythms and we all had to make adjustments. And some of us were better suited to make those adjustments. I am not a professional athlete. When you podcast for a living, you're doing that at home anyway. So I would say I was at the, I was so fortunate to be in the camp that my life didn't become that much different. Sloan Stevens' life became entirely different. And it took her a second to find her rhythm. But she's found it. You look for Sloane Stevens since the start of the clay court season, which we'll call the start of Charleston. You look at the numbers she's put together here on the year. It has been a good stretch since then. 16 and 10 overall. That's a 62% win percentage. And you look at the individual results. Quarterfinals in Charleston, semifinals in Parma, fourth round of Roland Garros. You know, she makes third round of Wimbledon before a three set loss to Ludmilla Samsonova, who, you know, the 2020 loss, perhaps a little shaky, to lose to Samsonova three sets third round after Samsonova won a warm up title on grass in the lead up to this year's Wimbledon, much more respectable. She loses three sets to Collins in San Jose. What did Danielle Collins do? She won the freaking event. She loses three sets. To Sabalenka in Montreal, three sets to Caroline Garcia in Cincinnati. That's not the best loss, but then beats Keys in three, 
Now this win again, 4-2 today over Coco Golf. What has she done so well of late? Her first serve has picked up in effectiveness. Now today, the percentage was outstanding. She made 83% of her first serves. But the more important number, she won 79% of her first serve points. And what was the reasoning for that? Her first strike capabilities today, particularly on the forehand wing, and you heard Pam Shriver ask her about it after the match. She was going after her first forehand, targeting that golf forehand wing. But look, she was comfortable taking that backhand down the line as well. And after really targeting the golf forehand through the first, you know, half, three, uh, two thirds of that first set, that opened up the backhand cross court. That opened up the forehand down the line for Stevens. And today, it was only seven. Seven winners against 11 unforced errors, but I think that second number is the more important number, the 11 unforced errors. It's really hard to hit a winner on Coco Goff. Yes, she's only 17 years old. She moves so extraordinarily well, and she's gotten better and better physically, which is so crazy to say, and she'll continue to get better, and we'll get to why those struggles led to the loss here today for Goff, but Stevens just kept putting pressure on her and even early in the match as Goff was able to hold and you look for Coco Goff in set one she only faced one break point of course Stevens was able to get that break was the one loose service game Coco Goff played where you know she made 63% of her first serves I think she only made two first serves in the game she was broken uh, but Stevens was going after her returns being aggressive because she wasn't going to outgrind Goff Goff wants to play those long rallies get into long patterns give her chances because she's going to keep the ball deeper in the court for longer than you are and the moment you leave it short she's going to jump on it hit an approach show off her all-court game Stevens didn't give her those chances Stevens kept swinging and she had her range tonight and what's the difference between this Sloan Stevens and the Sloan Stevens at the end of 2020 start of 2021 she is fit again and she obviously in her prime 2016 17 18 seasons she was one of the five best athletes in the women's game she's not quite there right now I mean she's still of course at 28 years old it can be one of the five best athletes but point in point out that physicality she hasn't shown that over the past 18 months she showed it tonight in this match the forehand was firing again seven winners against only 11 unforced errors but you know three of three at the net 19 of 24 on first serve points only three of five she only had to play five second serve points tonight and again or excuse me that's in the first set you look for her overall in the match 84 percent of her first serves go in but I, I mentioned it in the in the total for the match she plays eight second serve points so 41 of 49 first serves go in she's 33 of 41 on first serve points, 6 of 8 on second serve points, 3 of 5 on break point chances, only faced one break point in the match, fought it off successfully, 11 winners, excuse me, against 19 unforced errors, 5 of 7 at the net. I mean, she just worked golf throughout the course of this match. It was so difficult for Coco to find easy ways to attack Sloan, find ways to be on her front foot, except for when she was landing her first serve. And credit to Coco Goff, particularly in the first set. She did a really good job of landing that first serve. And in that first set, she won 13 of 15 first serve points. She was 24 of 34 overall for the match. But she lost confidence in the second serve because the second serve began to betray her. 6 of 16 on those points. She faced five break points in the match. Stevens, 3 of 5 on those break point chances. 
Then Goff started to press a little bit in that second set because it was really hard to track down, down the line after down the line, heavy cross-court forehand, heavy cross-court forehand, followed by the heavy down the line from Sloane Stevens. It wore Goff down over the set of uh, course of this match. And so, you know, the unforced errors started to pile up for Coco Goff in set number one. 13 unforced errors in set number two. She makes 12 unforced errors. What was so concerning on serve, she was 13 of 26 in that second set across the board. Well, you know, again, when you're only winning 50% of your service points and you're only winning 15% of your receiving points because Stevens kept targeting that forehand wing, and even when she went into the body or the backhand, the golf. Uh, return was just sitting a little short tonight so Stevens had the opportunity to attack Sloan Stevens played a really really good match here uh, today and again you look at her record of late I mentioned the fact 16 and 10 since the start of April you look for her overall in the season 17 and 15 overall you look for her uh, in terms of opponents ranked outside the top 50 she's 10 and 6 you look for her opponents ranked inside the top 50 7 and 9 but perhaps the most encouraging number two and one or three and one excuse me against top 20 opponents two and one against the top 10 she's beaten Pliskova and Kvitova a three-set loss in Montreal as I mentioned to Sabalenka is Sloan Stevens back I need to see it well she has done it since April I mean when it's three consecutive months of 60% win percentage you're a top 50 player again. So in that sense, yes, she's back. I even think she's hovering around the top 30, and you look for Sloane Stevens. We'll have to wait for this U.S. Open ELO uh, to be added to the ELO ratings, but you look for her overall right now. Currently 55 in overall ELO, 41 in terms of season ELO. With a third round here at the U.S. Open, she's going to jump into the top 35 in that metric. You look for her in the race to the year-end finals right now. Sloane Stevens currently 45th in the live rankings of that race yeah top 50 player here this season which is progress for the 28 year old but she showed flashes today she can still be that top 10 player now we're glass half full podcast two we died had to talk about the pandemic here that already makes all of us a little bit depressed but we do have to do a little glass half empty I suppose take for Coco Goff disappointing ending to her Grand Slam campaigns campaigns that saw her go second round Australia before a straight set loss to fifth seeded Alina Svitolina quarterfinals of course her first at Roland Garros before the straight set loss to Krejcikova fourth round Wimbledon before a four and four loss to Kerber you know, beats Lynette here in three sets before the loss to Sloane Stevens. She's played uh, 49 matches here now uh, this season, or this was her 50th, excuse me, match on the dot this year. It's a lot of tennis for uh, for Coco Goff. That's a lot of tennis for a 17-year-old. And, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that's the reason for this loss, but to expect a little bit of tail here at the end of what has been an unequivocal step forward, 34 and 14 overall, 71% win percentage. I believe it's seven quarterfinals plus a title here this year at Parma plus the slam quarterfinal. The trajectory for Coco Goff is very, very high. 
this Sloan out-physicaled her. I mean, Sloan took it to her today. That's what this result was, and I have no criticism for Goff. I, I just think, you know, again, if you're going to say, well, the forehand's a little bit big and a bit attackable, fine. She's 17 years old. Well, the second serve hangs up a little bit, fine. She's 17 years old. She's shown it across surfaces. Her intangible qualities, you know, are off the charts, and then she has a first serve that's a weapon. She is a top 30 club player, one of 13 in both hold and break percentage this season. The advanced metric She's ninth in the race to the year-end finals, 13th in overall ELO, 13th in 2021 ELO. That a 17-year-old has been a top 15 player this year by every metric except her ranking. What do you think? You spin that negatively. I want to hear, well, her forehand. I, I mean, again, that's the one that's legitimate. Like, yes, the forehand is a bit big of a backswing. The elite of the elite who can fire elite pace at her like a Sloan Stevens can, like a Sabalenka can, or a Georgie or an Osaka can, her last two losses. Yeah, fine. Those people are going to give her forehands problems when they play well. Those people's for, uh, people are going to give anyone's forehand problem when they play well. So... You know, again, I I only have so much tolerance for that line of criticism. At the same time, it is a legitimate line of criticism. She's aware of it. Uh, To be the best of the best, you have to shore up those holes. But again, 17 years old. I said glass half empty. I'm going to be honest. Still glass half full for Coco Gauff. This was just a fantastic performance for Sloan Stevens into the third round of the U.S. Open, hovering around the top 50 of the WTA rankings now as well. Now, that is topic number one here. Uh, the biggest That was probably the biggest result of the day. A crack racket special for all of you next. I have to talk about Carlos Alcaraz's four-set win over former Texas A&M All-American, one of the rising stars, I would argue, of this 2021 season in Arthur Rindernesh. You look for Carlos Alcaraz, his performance here today, 7-6 critical first set breaker that saw a couple of pauses due to rain delays, 4-6-6-1-6-4. Again, 18 years old, he won 85% of his first serve points in. Look, is Rindernesh the best returner? No, but you look for Arthur Rindernesh here uh, this season, what he's been able to accomplish overall. It's been pretty solid in terms of his break percentage. It's not an outlier sort of number like an Opelka, like an Isner, you look for him on the season, a 21% break percentage. He's winning, you know, 35.7% of his return points. You look at those numbers, how that would rate at the top uh, 50 level. You know, again, he would be in the 30s, lower half. He'd be like 35th to 40th on the stats leaderboard. That's not That's not great. That's not horrible. It's fine. He's over 20%. When you're under 20%, that's a problem. He's over 20% in ATP level matches this season, and yet it was so difficult for Arthur Rindernesh to find ways to uh, be effective on the Carlos Alcaraz serve. Alcaraz 55 of 65 on first serve points in today's match. That's an outstanding number. I mean, you look for Carlos Alcaraz uh, overall on serve to, again, 31 of 45 on second serve points. He only faced one break point on the day. It was in the second set. That one break Rindernesh got, that was it. That speaks to, you know, again, the effectiveness of the first strike tennis Carlos Alcaraz plays, and it's very Rafa-ish. And you can see the obvious influence, the heavy forehand, the way he moves his backhand around the court, the finesse and the strength he plays with as well. And I don't say that lightly. That's a serious comparison. 
Um, you, it, it just works across surfaces. His forehand is an explosion off of the racket, and I feel like I do say that a lot, but I feel like I'm saying it a lot usually about, about Carlos Alcaraz, particularly given the success he has had here in 2021, and I'll get into that momentarily. But again, one of the sneaky things I think he did well today, and you look for him overall, 41 winners against 26 unforced errors, perhaps most impressively, 16 of 20 at the net. And what Alcaraz did so well because Rindernesh adjusted his return position as this match went on and, you know, started standing 6 to 10 feet, maybe even 10 to 12 feet, you know, started standing from 6 feet behind the baseline to 10 to 12 feet behind the baseline as a return position, just so he could get a clean cut on the ball because Alcaraz can hit the flat heavy serve, but he also hits a heavy kick serve. And if you stand far enough back and you're 6 foot 5, you can eventually get a clean look at that ball. What does Alcaraz do? He incorporates the serve and volley in that moment, and he executes it so well. He's a good volleyer who already knows where to go and you know what to do with that first volley when he's at the net. And I say it all the time, that's 75% of the battle in tennis when you're moving forward. And so, you know, again, the first the forehand obvious takes you two seconds of watching to see the plus power, the heaviness of that shot, even against a guy like the six foot five Rinderneck who does not lack in service pop in first forehand power. I think the Alcaraz forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. And I do want to give some credit to Arthur Rindernesh, who has proven he belongs here at the ATP level in 2021. You look for him overall this season, 14 and 11 in eight, uh, now 14 and 12, excuse me, in ATP level matches. He's made five different quarterfinals, semifinals in Kitzbühel as well, up to number 83 in the rankings, reached his career high of number 78 earlier this season. You look for him with this second round result, Rindernesh up to a new career high in the live rankings. For now, of number 75, you look for him in the race to the year end finals, Rindernesh currently at number 54. He's proven he belongs at the ATP level that he, you know, throughout these next three to five years, his prime because he is only 26 years old. And yes, he played four years of college tennis, but he's still only 26 years old, folks. Uh, that's that's my age. You know, Arthur Rindernesh was born, I want to say, uh, let's see, for Arthur Rindernesh. Sorry, you know, it's always about me, folks. Uh, July 23rd, 1995. Yeah, he's three months older than I am, um, two and a half. And so... He's still very much entering his prime, and you can see that from his numbers. You know, career high and hold percentage, 81.9% at the ATP level. He's breaking serve 21% of the time. His movement looks more comfortable. He's done it across surfaces as well, and that he struggled so much with the pace of Carlos Alcaraz speaks to the elite level that Alcaraz is playing at, and you look for him 35-15 and 15 here in 2021. He's 94-33 in his career. He's won 74% of his career matches, still just 18 years old. He's 25-9 and nine in his uh, in the last 52 weeks, I believe, against players ranked outside the top 50. 19-7, or let's see, that 19-7 number, uh, maybe that's against players, excuse me, ranked 50 or higher, his number against players inside the top 50. Only 3-2, and two. But, so that he, but still, that he made a guy like Rindernesh, who's been playing at a top 50 level, look this, you know, that he looked this good. Good, uh, against a Rindernesh that he had the weapons and the physicality to match a top 50 guy. Yeah, it was a four-set match. It was a close match. That speaks to the fact that Alcaraz is still 18 years old, but that he's performing at this level at 18 years old. What's he going to look like at 23? 
What's he going to look like at 26? Scary, scary thoughts for the rest of the ATP Tour. Scary for the rest of us that he's not going to be 26 until 2029. Uh, Again, we talk about the guys here on this podcast. Who are your locks to win slams in the 2020s? Is Carlos Alcaraz your first lock? Yannick Sinner is your first lock to win a slam in the 2030s. Is Alcaraz your second lock to win a slam in the 2030s? The answer to that question might be yes, Yes, that's a first here at the Mini Brig. Please, someone at Great Shot Podcast, let me know. Are our first two locks? That's the sort of questions we're asking here now to win slams in the 2030s. We're done with the 2020s already by 2021. Are the first two Alcaraz or Yannick Sinner? Which way are you leaning? I think it's Sinner 1, Alcaraz 2. Does anyone else belong on that list? Are you ready to throw Holger Rune on there? I am not, but... Interesting question. I'm curious to hear what some of you think. So at Great Shot Pod, if you listen to this, please let me know. Again, you look for Carlos Alcaraz, what he does so well today. 55 of 65 on the first serve, 85% conversion rate. Only faces one break point. Now is broken, but you know wins that first set breaker. 41 winners against six, uh, 26 on four stairs. Maybe hit the shot of the day. Six all in the tiebreaker. Rindernesh's serve, first set. And Rindernesh hits a great first forehand inside out into the backhand corner of Alcaraz. Alcaraz in on the run, hook shot around the alley, elevated, you know, over Rindernesh, ends up dropping in. It's a shot you would see Rafa hit on the run as a passing shot and lets out a big roar. Again, a year from now, he will not be dropping his racket in celebration after a second round win. But you could see what this meant to Alcaraz. You look for him this season now for the 18-year-old with this win. Uh, he is up to number 52 in the live rankings. That's a new career high. You look for him 32nd in the race to the year-end finals. Most of it's come on clay, folks, and yet we already see how effective, again, the heaviness of his shot can be on a hard court. Carlos Alcaraz advancing once again, 7-6-4-6-6-1-6-4 over over Arthur Rindernesh into, I believe, what is his uh, second third round at a Grand Slam. He did it at Roland Garros earlier this season, lost to Struff in that match. You look for him now, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, going to have an interesting opportunity in the third round as he's going to face Stefano Tsitsipas. The weight of the Alcaraz forehand, the weight of the Alcaraz serve into the Tsitsipas backhand. That's going to be an interesting matchup, folks. That's one we're definitely going to be keeping our eyes on here at Cracked Rackets. But for Alcaraz, second Grand Slam, third round, doing all of that by the age of 18 to quote Novak Djokovic. Not too bad. Those are your two deep dive breakdowns. I do quickly want to talk about Daria Kasakina getting a much deserved third round appearance on her mantle as she knocks off Von Drusov in what is one of the matches of the day. Uh, 3 6, 6 4, 6 4 comeback victory for the number 25 seed. Five straight breaks to start that third set before Kasakina was able to get a hold on the board. 4 4 2. You look for her overall in the match. Again, this is what Kasakina does. You look at her numbers here in 2021. She's made 65% of her first serves. In this match, she makes 70% of her first serves. She's won, I believe, it's 64% of her first serve points in this match. She wins 59%. You know, more importantly, on the on the return, she wins 40% 
or 60% of her second serve return points goes 24 of 40 on those second serve returns. Of course, you look for Daria Kasakina here this season. According to Tennis Abstract's uh, leaderboard, Daria Kasakina has been fourth best in break percentage here this season, her uh, 45.4% number. Yeah. She had success against Von Drusova, who, you know, has all the tools, has all the weapons. This turned into a ground stroke game. There were a lot of fun rallies. You look at the distance covered per point. I haven't mentioned that stat much, but shout out to the U.S. Open for offering that number. This was on the higher side. In the, you know, when you're, the, I would say the average is about, well, it depends who you are. The average is probably somewhere between 65 and 80. You know, Kasakina was 96 uh, feet per point. Von Drusova was at 97 feet per point. Von Drusova mixed in the drop shots, mixed in the big down the lines, the unexpected slices. But Kasakina is a dynamic enough athlete. She tracked all of those down. And again, she has a variety of her own. And if you give her time in the center of the court, she can flash plus pop. She gets the job done. 26 winners against only 27 unforced errors. That's a really good ratio when you're playing someone who grinds and make matches physical like uh, Olympic silver medalist Marketa Vandrusova. And this is a tough result for Vandrusova. Another tough draw for her. You look at her losses here this season. Bencic, Bencic, Halep, Goff, Kerber, Tamjanovic, Samsonova in the tournament she won, Bedosa at Roland Garros, Jabur, Muguruza. Yeah, like, again, Marketa Vandrusova is 22 and 15 in 2021. I think 10 of her 20, uh, of her losses have come against players who rank in the top 15 of the ELO ratings. She's been sneaky good this season. And I think for the 22-year-old, you know, that's the key to remember. She is 22 years old. She is going to be in, she's 38th in the rankings right now. She's going to be in that top 50 in her best weeks, look like a top 10 player. But I think in that top 30 mix for the next decade as well, will she make another slam final? Will she win a slam? I don't know about that, but she's another fun outlier, a grinder, a fantastic athlete in the mix here. Kasekina is just in better form. You look for Daria Kasekina's number here this season again tremendously impressive overall 34 and 16 on the year you look for her 21 and 6 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 13 and 10 against the top 50 4 and 4 against the top 20 she's 27th overall in the rankings but you look at the advanced metrics for Kasekina I already mentioned she's fourth in hold percentage but you look for her overall ELO rating up to number 28 2021 specific ELO rating at 31st you look at her win total 31 wins coming into this tournament that number right now uh good it's tied for seventh amongst wta players this season pretty damn good for daria kasakina into the third round here at this slam you look at her for her at the slam results this year was a three-set loss to ostapanko at wimbledon Straight set loss to Kirstea, third round Roland Garros. She loses second round to Sabalenka, straight sets at the Australian Open. You look for Kasatkina now in her third round match. Uh, she's got Alina Svitolina. That's a winnable match. She has the chance to make a second week, and that would be kind of the feather in the crown to 
perhaps put her bow on the case for comeback player of the year, most improved player of the year. I know she was top 10 before. That felt a little bit flukish. This run has felt very sustainable here this season. Daria Kasakina, one of your most impressive performers of the day, into the third round of the 2021 U.S. Open. Again, a 3-6-6-4-6-4 victory over Marketa Van Drusova. Those are your breakdowns. What did I not mention much of in that breakdown uh, section? Upsets on the day. They were few and far between, again, on the women's side. Yes, Coco Golf lost to Sloan Stevens. That match, though, not the biggest upset. I mean, it is an upset just that Stevens hasn't been outstanding, but she had been good of late. And on this stage, this moment, the relationship between them, uh, that just felt like a pick sort of match. The only other upset on the women's side, Rakamova knocked out by Alexandrova 6-4-6-1. You look at the seeds eliminated now, only five of them in competition. Goff, Mukova, Kudermatova, Putinseva, Alexandrova, none of them are seated higher than 21st. Of course, Brady Ostapenko had to withdraw before the start of play, but I'm going to go a little bit of out, out of order here. Normally, you know, again, I do talk about the upsets uh, next, and then I'll go into the men's upsets, but I do want to talk just about how dominant the women's seeds were today, because when you look at the numbers at how they were able to perform, I mean, it's a joke how dominant they are. And just to read those score lines for you quickly, uh, you look at just, again, the breakdown. Here's the breakdown. And I tweeted this out. I apologize for quoting my own tweets. But here is the breakdown by set score of how the top 20 seeds on the day. And I believe you look overall on the day. I want to say there were 11 top 20 seeds who were in action here today. You look, in fact, overall uh, for, uh, here we go. I've got the results now in front of me. Here with the top seeds in competition on the day, you had Halep, you had Sabalenka, Svitolina, Krejcikova, Muguruza, Mertens, Vika, Rabakina, and Jabor. So again, overall on the day, excuse me, you had nine top 20 seeds. 18 total sets played. Not a single one of those nine top 20 seeds dropped the set on the day. You had one seven six set, one seven five set, two six four sets. Now, of course, six three is still one hold, but to have only four sets of the 18 go six four or or further, that's ridiculous. Here's a more impressive number: ten of the 18 sets. 6-2 or worse. There were four six twos, five six ones, one bagel of the group. Of course, the score I'm leaving out there, the middle child, there were four six threes. But again, of those nine top 20 seeds, Sabalenka, Svitolina, Krechikova, Muguruza, Halep, Mertens, Vika, Rabakina, Jabour, none of them dropped a set. They all were, uh, you know, I thought... I thought they all looked better today, too, than they did in round number one. And you start with, you know, Arena Sabalenka, who dropped a set in her first round of match uh, against, I'm forgetting the name, uh, the Serbian. Not, I'm, I'm seeing Podoroska in my head. Nina uh, Sardarusic. There it is. Um, I think it was Sardarusic. Uh, Sabalenka, you know, it, she had her chances, was up a break in that second set, let it get away from her, bagels her in the third. It was all business for Sabalenka as she earns a straight set victory today. 3-1 and one over Zidancic. Zidancic just didn't have a weapon to hurt her with. Svitolina has continued her good form into Chicago. She just locked, seems locked in both physically and mentally. And of course, when she is, she's just a really tough out. Really tough to get a ball by her. 2-5 and five over Masarova. I think I saw a stat. Krejcikova is 27-3 since the start of the French Open. 27-3. 
This is her first U.S. Open main draw. That was her first Wimbledon main draw. That was her first, I believe, French Open main draw. Historic. I mean, she's your most improved player of the year. I apologize. I think I said it earlier about Daria Kasatkina. She might be your comeback player of the year. What Krejcikova is doing, borderline unprecedented. We all raved in in wonder over Aslan Karatsev. Krejcikova might be the GOAT. Like, it might just be time to settle the argument, and it's not Serena. It's not Navratilova. It's not Graf. It's just Krejcikova 2021. 3-1 for her made it look routine. This time it was indoor hard courts against Mikhail. She's just got all of the tools. My 25-1 to bet on Muguruza to win the event. 4-2 and over Petkovic. She looked better today. You know, again, it was kind of like, oh, you're not going to pressure me like Vekic did. I'm going to steamroll you then. That's what she did in that second set against Petkovic. Halep was so much better physically today. She was hitting runaround forehand. She just looked comfortable with her movement. 3-1 and one over Kutsova. She continues to serve well also. She's a threat to win this tournament if she continues to improve at this rate. 2-2 two and two for Mertens, just given the drama in round one, that's a step forward. 3-6 and six for Vika, she looked good. Rubakina continues to roll in the early rounds of slams. 1-4 over Garcia. 0-1 oh for Own Jabour today over Maria Camila Osorio Serrano. When it's working, it's working. And it has been working for Own Jabour. She has been a top 10 player here this season. You don't believe me. She's one of three players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. She is 8th in the race to the year-end finals. Yes, you look at the rankings right now, they lag a little bit behind for Jabour. She's currently at a new career high of number 18. That's not high enough. You look for her right now. Overall, ELO rating on Jabour all the way up, uh, I believe, to number nine. You look 2021 specific. She's currently ranked sixth. She's been that good, folks. I think a lot of you have taken notice, but if you haven't, perhaps you will here down the home stretch. And again, why do I mention all these seeds? And Danielle Collins, shout out to her, 4-2 and two over Kaya Yuvon. She continues to roll. She's been one of the five best players on tour since the end of Wimbledon. Uh, why do I bring all this up? All of these seeds rolling, they're all on the same section of the draw. Let me just read the third round matches to you, and I'm not going to preview them yet, but let me just read the third round matches now on our women's side. Svitolina versus Kasatkina. Oh yeah, that match is pretty good. You know what else is pretty good? Fernandez versus Osaka. Leila Fernandez today, sneaky, maybe the most impressive win of the day. Five and five for her over the veteran Kaya Kanepi. She's now got Naomi Osaka. You know what? You know what might be even better than that? Azarenka versus freaking Muguruza. You know what might be better than that? Merton Jabour. You know what's certainly better than that? The hardest hitting match in the history of women's tennis, certainly to set some sort of record. Danielle Collins taking on Arena Sabalenka. You know what might be better than that? Rabakina taking on Halep. The contrast of styles. Those. That's just one half of the third round in the women's draw. Popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. That's as good as it gets, folks. That's what that's dodgeball. That's the departed. That's the Dark Knight. It's the first time I watched the Dark Knight Rises when I thought they were actually killing off Bruce Wayne at the end. And I won't lie, my tear my eyes did swell up with tears because watching the cartoons Batman with my dad, my older brother, my younger brother when I was probably too old to watch it, and I've got a lot of the episodes memorized, more than I care to admit. Okay, all of them. Um, you know, anyways, I, all of that is to say, 
they this bottom half of the third round of the women's singles U.S. Opens, and yes, that's my shortlist: Dodgeball, The Dark Knight. I mean, The Dark Knight over The Dark Knight Rises, because you can only have one Batman on the list. Let's be honest here: Dodgeball, The Departed, The Dark Knight. Oh, I just watched this movie with Westhoff. Oh, what's it called? Oh my god, it's a parody horror movie. And it was actually excellent. It was about oh, there was some kill. They were it was like a Hunger Games, but a private estate. And again, they were making a mockery of people who say there's a globalist elitist cult, you know, running the world. Shout out to George Soros, go Jews. Um, I mean, yeah, it's. Anyways, all of that is to say this day three belongs on that list. I hope leave all of that tangent in West off even the Soros shout out. But you know, again. Super, super fun day of results. Yes, the top seeds cruise, but it sets up a little bit of patience is a virtue here because it should be an awesome day of results in round number three. Uh, again, your only match that went the distance on the women's side, by the way, was the Kasatkina match. So that's your action on the women's side. It's a completely different tale. On the men's side, you look overall upsets defining uh, the men's draw thus far, particularly outside the top eight. And I will not continue to beat the drum because I've said it in each of our preview episodes talking about the men's draw. I've said it every time, every day here in our mini break recap podcast, parody outside the top eight guys outside of Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Berrettini, Rublev, team win healthy. Those are your eight. Outside of that, it's all unknown. Some week it's PCB, some weeks it's Rude, it's Hercots, it's Sinner. And I do think Sinner and FAA are closer to that top group than they are the second group. Uh, but you look overall, you know, losses today, four sets from Dimitrov against our guy, Botik Vendison Sculp, and, you know, Alexi Popperin, 7 6 7 6 4 love before Grigor Dimitrov, who's dealt with a bunch of injuries this season, has to retire. Henry Laxon knocks off Christian Green early in another hardcore event, four set win, four Laxon and you look overall now uh, in terms of for this event I believe it's now 16 seeds knocked off through the first half of the second week now Rude's the only top eight seed and he and Carreno Buste the eight and nine seed the only top 10 seeds and given there's no top, uh, Dominic team seven of the eight guys I mentioned as locks in the hierarchy they're all still alive but outside of those top seven guys as Dennis Kudla said at the City Open it is wide open season. You look for our guy, Botik Vandesen Sculpt, one of the best stories here in the 2021 calendar year. You look at what he's been able to accomplish overall, 39-18 and 18 in his events, seven uh, quarterfinals for him at the challenger level, has only made one final, but you look for him now here at the Grand Slams. What a run it's been for Vandesen Sculpt. He goes to uh, qualifying at the French Open, qualifies, wins around there against Davidovich Fokina. By the way, qualified at the start of the year before losing first round to Alcaraz in Australia. Qualifies at Wimbledon. Wins around there before getting knocked out by Berrettini. Qualifies at all four majors this year. Gets another win over to Berner. Five sets round number one. First third round at a major in his career for the 25-year-old uh, from the Netherlands. Why am I such a big Botik van der Sculpt fan? I've said it before. It's all about me here. October 4th, 1995. Two days older than your boy is Vanderson Sculpt. I feel his career. What he does, we do together. We get the win over Casper Rude. I texted this to David Gertler and Damian Kust, our Cracked Rackets contributors today. 
I see a little Benoit pair in Vanderson sculpt. Now, a much better attitude on court, obviously, but A, the way they both drive the backhand, the way they both incorporate the drop shot, the feel, the creativity. Uh, you know, I think the forehand's a little bit funky. It is a little bit hitchy in that Benoit nature, but it's a little bit more effective for Vanderson sculpt. The guy can just play. And I mean, it's not the most natural pop, although he can drive his hip. The way he and Zverev both turn their shoulders before driving through a backhand, that's how you're supposed to do it, I'm pretty sure. But for Vanderson Sculpt, 74%, uh, when 74% of his first serves, 22 of 29 at the net, 50 winners against 35 unforced errors. You know, Casper was a little bit tentative today. And Botic took advantage of that fact, used his creativity, used his variety. He earned this victory. And of course, it's a disappointing ending for Kasparu that he doesn't earn a single fourth round at a major this year in a year that's seen him win four titles, third most uh, amongst, or tied for second with Zverev, excuse me, amongst ATP players that he's 49 and 17 in his last 52 weeks and, you know, 40 and 11 here in 2021. And you look for him in the race to the year end finals. Kasparu currently eighth in those standings, seven if you include Nadal's withdrawal that he's currently a new career high of 10th in the ATP career rankings, much like with Coco Goff at the start. It's a glass half full. At the same time, you know what Kasparud's goal this offseason is going to be. The first thing he'll say when he enters, it's kind of like Sabalenka. Now, Sabalenka was a little further developed because she'd won big titles at the higher levels, but for him, it's make a second week at the slam. You can do it at the 250 level. You can do it at the 500 level. Even the two quarterfinals in Canada and Cincinnati do it at the slams. Obviously, the French Open will be the one he circles, but you know he played a lot of tennis. That's 51 matches here, despite how incredible that mat, uh, record is for him this season. Still, credit to Van de Sculp, who, by the way, you look now in the live rankings, he is up to a new career high, number 104 for the 25-year-old. You look for him this year in the race, number 74. Again, if you've won match, you've qualified at all four slams, you've won matches at multiple slams, you probably deserve to be in a slam. I don't know why I whispered. You probably deserved to be in the slam main draws moving forward. He's put himself in a position to do so. You look for Vanderson Sculpt now. He can make the fourth round. He's got a very, very, he's the favorite. I'll even say it winnable match against Fasundo Bagnus in the third round. What an opportunity that would be for us 25-year-olds to see Vendison Sculpt make it into the fourth round again. Uh, he earns the upset win over Casper Ruud to advance to the third round of the U.S. Open. Another upset win of the day. Henry Laxinen, four-set win over Christian Green. Now, Green was up a set and a break in this match. I believe it was a set and a break 4-3 before he gets broken back. But you look for Christian Green uh, now in his career, 16-29 and 29 in ATP-level matches on hard courts. He's 58-30 and 30 in clay court matches. What's the difference? It's the break percentage. He goes from 29.2% on clay to 17.9% on on uh, hard courts. That's the difference from being a top 10 guy to being a bottom 10 guy, from being, you know, again, top 10 to outside the top 40. And just, you can, the reason why his forehand sits a little bit shorter, it's a little bit harder for him to penetrate the court on these hard courts. The backhand, you know, it's, it's a little bit flat. So if he doesn't get a clean rip on it, it's sitting up as an approach shot for 
for a guy like Laxanen who plays big on the serve, plays big on the forehand. And after Henry Laxanen, he had won three career matches in slams heading into this season. He's made two third rounds at slams here this year. That's the sort of year it's been in 2021, and that is life-changing money for Henry Laxanen. That is a big payoff, a big payday. He will certainly be reveling in this victory. But for Christian Green, again, it's just... It can't be as simple as, well, I need to just become a better returner. Well, it actually it, – it, it's good that it feels it's as simple as I just need to become a better returner on hard courts because when he's 17 feet behind the baseline on a clay court and taking a big rip, it, there's a difference between doing that on, on a clay court and doing that on a hard court where that first ball when you're 17 feet behind the baseline is that much more attackable. Uh, but again – Laxanen played really, really well in this match. And you look at the stats from this one for Henry Laxanen overall. 42 winners against 33 uh, unforced errors. For Green, 38 winners against 33 unforced errors. He broke back for 4-all at the end of the fourth set before immediately getting broken again. 4-5-4 uh, four, four by Laxanen. 22 of 46 on second serve points just isn't going to get the job done. Uh, again, you look for him overall. 38 winners against 33 unforced errors. The return just sat a little bit short in the court. Laxinen was able to attack. Again, credit to the man from Switzerland, but in the end, uh, he earns the upset victory over Green. Uh, Four-set win for him to advance to the third round. And by the way, you look for Henry Laxinen now. He's another guy. Very winnable third-round match as he takes on Peter Gojewicz. Gojewicz, one of the winners in a match that goes the distance on the day. He gets a five-set win over the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, to advance to the third round. Again, I said it in the draw preview with Matt Stokowiak. Apologize for plugging ourselves. You can go hear that now if you want on this mini-break podcast feed. The Tsitsipas section always felt like the section that was going to get a little bit funky. You know, the bottom half of the draw in particular, and you look for Dan Evans now, it is good, clean living. The only seeds left in his section, Diego Schwartzman and Dan Evans. Again, those are two guys you take Medvedev as a heavy favorite against both you look for Tsitsipas. He's got Elkaraz, Gojewicz, Laxanen still alive in his section. He's also got, you know, the top half a little more complicated. Rublev, Tiafo, Bautista, Gut, and FAA. It's an interesting bottom half of the draw. Certainly the women's more highlight matchups, but FAA, RBA, you know, you look at the tennis abstract uh, forecast for this event. That match is essentially a pick 50.8% for FAA, 49.2% for RBA. Certainly some fun matchups. Matchups. And again, that gets into the rest of our men's results on the day. Only two five-setters. You have, as mentioned, Gojewitz, the five sets over the deuce. Alex Mokan, one of the breakthrough stars of this 2021 season, comes through qualifying at this event in his first Grand Slam main draw, makes the third round at this Grand Slam. He's another guy who has been one of those challenger superstars here this season. You look formal can in the race to the year end finals right now he currently sits at number 58 overall he also made uh, I think it's he's won a challenger title made two other challenger finals made an ATP final now in a US Open third round here this season you look for him still with all of that success he's currently at a new career high but still at 115 
in the ATP rankings, can't even crack the top 100 with that success. When that's the case, something is certainly wrong. Look, Brandon was a little bit wavery today. His play just wasn't as steady as it usually is. There were errors that began to rack up, and you look at the scoreboard, at the numbers for Nakashima in this match. Yes, it was a five-setter, and he was down 5-2, by the way, got one of those breaks back. Shout out to him for continuing to compete, but 50 winners for Brandon, 31 unforced errors. That feels like a generous count for him. I don't know that the unforced error count was that low. Still, credit to Mokan. Heavy left, you know, uh, the game just gave uh, Nakashima difficulties today. And so he ultimately advances to his first U.S. Open third round. You look in terms of the men's results on the day, how the seeds performed. Daniel Medvedev continues to cruise. If he doesn't make the semifinals of this event, I really will be shocked. You look for Medvedev overall, 4-1-2, and two, was much more comfortable against Kopfer, honestly, than I thought. I thought Kopfer might give him a run for his money, but no, in the end, the serve, the consistency, the physicality for Medvedev wins out. Yes, there was a blip in the road for Tsitsipas in that third set. Yes, it was fascinating to listen to the crowd boo him. Yes, it was fascinating to listen to a match during a monsoon, but Ultimately, I think Tsitsipas is rounding into form well here through his first two matches in New York. If you listen to our GSP Ace of the Day podcast, which is, of course, where I preview, give my picks for each and every day of this 2021 U.S. Open, you will know that I thought Pedro Martinez would steal a set from Andre Rublev. The physicality with which he plays, his ability, the heavier the pace you hit at him, the more pace he's able to hit back to you because he is a guy who the better the player, the better he plays. Now, he's not a tennis chameleon because his floor is higher than a tennis chameleon's, but I think he is a guy who the better the opponent, the better the Pedro and the heaviness of Rublev's forehand was beautiful for him. He could be 12 feet behind the baseline, just using that pace to swing freely, keep his ball down. Look, first two sets, he was able to hang with Rublev. First set goes to Rublev, 7-6. Second set to Martinez, 7-6. Uh, but then Rublev's pace just won out. It's really hard to keep up that sort of physicality when you are playing that high, far behind the baseline against a guy as aggressive as a Rublev. I think this was a good performance from Rublev. It was good that he was tested early, passed the test, 7-6-6-7-6-1-6-1. I started recording this after Schwartzman took a two sets to love lead. It was uh, 7-6-6-3 Schwartzman. When I started recording this podcast, I look right now, Schwartzman closed it out, 7-6-6-3-6-4. Thought he handled Anderson well, thought he handled the start and stopping well. Uh, He advances, and again, he would be the guy most likely on a collision course with Daniil Medvedev, so I suppose that would be a fun quarterfinal. I just think Medvedev would be the comfortable favorite. I thought FAA was tremendous today in sets two and three against Bernabe Zapata Morales. Zapata Morales was swinging freely. He was trying to hit the ball, match FAA's pace, and FAA was like, oh, you're going to hit the ball harder at me? Well, then I'm going to hit it even harder again at you, and everything was landing, and he was moving fluidly, serving well. Straight set win for him. The guy who has been sneaky best in this tournament, given my expectations entering the event, is 18th seeded Roberto Bautista Gut. 1-3-2 and two over a tricky Emil Rusevori. Uh, RBA is locked in physically. He's putting the ball on a dime right now. These courts seem well-suited to him. The forehand is ripping through the court. 
keep an eye on RBA. That matchup with FAA, that is popcorn stuff in the third round. Good win for Dan Evans, just again, out-physicaled Marcos Giron, who just didn't have a big enough weapon to hurt Evans with. Evans, in the end, four-set victory there. This was the best win for Francis Tiafo I've seen at a major because of just how comfortable he made it look. One, two, and five over Guido Pea, and I know he's had high highs, that's a hot take, but that he made this look so routine. It's not his best win at a major, sorry. This is, though, perhaps the best sign from a major is that he can make a second round win look that routine. He advances now to the third round where he, as I mentioned, has a fascinating date with Andre Rublev. Uh, you look elsewhere, the other results we saw on the men's side, Andohar, three sets over Cole Schreiber, Bagnus, as mentioned, four set wins. He advances over Trungalidi. I said this at the top, Kerber, Kalina postponed until tomorrow, but uh, outside of that, those are your results on day three of this 2021 U.S. Open. Of course, I just mentioned this, but if you are looking for picks, more details on the matches I think are going to be close. More details on the matches I think you should get action on moving forward. Go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find our GSP Ace of the Day segment each uh, each afternoon, each early evening, depending on where you live, uh, to hear those projections. But a brief day four preview for all of you to wrap today's show my six favorite matches across the board and I am seriously wondering because of all the rain will the matches start on time my estimate would be no that they do not but you know that U.S. Open crew can work miracles so we will see what happens on the women's side I don't think there's any single great match but I do think there are four or five really really good ones Kontaveva Teichman that's the litmus test battle are you a top 35 player? If you are, you have to beat the Conteves Teichmans of the world, of course, to get into the top third round of a slam would be a top 32 in the field. So I think this is a really, really fun one. Barty versus Tossin, former world junior number one, Bar- uh, Tossin, world junior number one, Barty. How does the pace Tossin can hit, particularly that backhand wing match up with Barty? That's fascinating. Slugfest 2004, Pliskova versus Anisimova. Uh, Super, super interesting. Sakari Sinyakova, I like. Sviantek Farrow, Rogers Kirstea. Those are probably a slight tier lower. So three really, really good matches. Three solid matches as well. You look at the men's side. I think there are a lot of interesting ones. A, 10 American men playing on the day. That's always a good place to start here at Cracked Rackets. But just a lot of results I either A, am unsure about where the result will go, or B, I do want to see how this player competes at this level. Brooksby Fritz, that's our Patreon match of the day. Full breakdown for them, so I'm not going to do that here, but that is the one I'm watching most closely on the day. I was at Mackie Nishikori Part 1 in the City Open semifinal. Mackie, a three-set win. He was so excellent in that match. That is one to circle. Opelka, if he's clicking, should cruise against Musetti. So that's one to watch from a litmus test standpoint. Bublik Sock, who knows? How does the Spider-Man bounce back, compete against the pace against Yannick Sinner? Interested to see that. Monfils Johnson is always interesting if you follow the tour closely. Uh, They've played three matches in their career. All three have gone three sets. I'm interested to see that one. 
I think Stevie's playing well right now. So those are my day four thoughts. Of course, again, you want to hear those picks, hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. If you have missed any of our coverage of the 2021 U.S. Open, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, and our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, a shout out as always to the men behind the scenes who make all of this content possible super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that said for super producers fligner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone